This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Matthew or Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 6 reads like this. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. And the important word there is I am raising up the Babylonians. We're going to see that God is the Lord of history. I'm raising up the Babylonians. And God's prophet Habakkuk says, Habakkuk says, what's going on, Lord? That God would actually strengthen. He would strengthen and give victory to a totally unbelieving nation that mocks God, mocks his name, to conquer a people where at least there were some believers who were specially chosen by God. Didn't make sense, but there was a reason to purge all that evil from Israel, to refine them. Listen, the armies of Babylon would invade Jerusalem, 586 B.C. They would destroy the temple, destroy the city, destroy the communities and villages and the whole land. They would march over a million people back to Babylon in three different waves. And these people would live in Babylon as aliens. They would be treated as aliens. And a lot of those people, a lot of those people in Israel who were aliens in Babylon, who would be captive there, said, we kind of like it here. We kind of like all these idols and these gods. We kind of like all this self-indulgence. I think we're going to stay. But there was what the Bible calls a remnant of Jews who looked at all that stuff, who watched, and they were captive in Babylon, who watched these people bowing the knee to these these, these godless, ugly idols and declaring the idol as God. And they saw all this self-indulgence, see, and people who were bent on pleasure and self-indulgence, and they wanted to vomit it up. And they wanted to say, get me back to what I had, this small remnant of people in the land of the Jews. And folks, that is a way that God works with you and me. He says, you want that kind of lifestyle? I'll give you that kind of lifestyle. You want that? I will take away all restraints. And you can have that. Go for it. Indulge in all that garbage. You want it, you can have it. So you get to the point where you hate your life. You almost hate yourself. You want to vomit it up, and you cry out for what you once had. God, give it back to me. Sometimes God works like that. And here's where this comes home to you and me. God can use evil, just like he used Babylon. God can use evil. And this is a tremendous thing to know as a Christian person. God can use evil to bring about his purposes. One more time. God can use evil to bring about his purposes. And I see how God used the evil one, evil incarnate, in Luke chapter 22. And this is Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Jesus here talks to his disciple, Simon Peter. And he says in verse 31 of Luke 21, or Luke 22, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked me to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says, when you're going through that 
sifting Simon Peter, disciple of mine, I am going to pray for you that your faith may not fail. That's verse 32, meaning, meaning he, Jesus, gave permission. Satan had asked God. Satan had asked the Son of God, Jesus himself, for permission to sift Peter. And here's what that says to me and you. If Satan's behind what's going on in your life, he or one of his demons had to go to the Father or the Son and ask permission to sift you. People tell me lots. I'm under spiritual attack. And very honestly, I got to be honest, you're probably not. You probably made your own mess with your own sin. Seriously. We like to say, oh, it's Satan's fault. But if it is Satan, then understand this. He had to go to the Father and he had to ask the Father's permission and say, Father or Son Jesus Christ, may I please sift him or sift her like wheat. And the Father had to say yes. He had to give his permission. See, so you know Satan is not a loose cannon. He just can't, you know, attack you at will like a kamikaze pilot. Satan can't do that. He's not allowed to do that. God's Satan's Lord, see? You got to know that. But when God the Father does say yes to that request and allows the devil into the life of one of his beloved children who love him, who love his son, then he will always establish a purpose. He'll say, okay, Satan, go, go, go at him. But I establish a purpose for this, and you're going to accomplish my purpose in their life, and it's always something good. And that's Luke 22, verse 32, which reads, and when you have turned back, in other words, he's being sifted like wheat. When you've turned back from this sifting, this trial you're going through, the word of God says, then, then Jesus says to Peter, then you strengthen your brothers. You strengthen your brothers. When you're back on the path I want you to be on, you go strengthen your brothers. And see, that is Proverbs 17, verse 3, where it says, a crucible for silver and the furnace for gold. A crucible or a cauldron for silver and gold. And see, you put that stuff in a cauldron, you break it down to liquid, and it gets so hot. And this is what God's doing in your life. It gets so hot, all the impurities rise to the top, and somebody skims off those impurities. And what's left? Pure, refined gold. And so God is allowing Satan sometimes into your life to use him or to use the bad stuff in your life to refine you so you can just heat up to that point where you boil and all the bad stuff comes to the top, and then he skims it off, see? But God always sets the limits and tells the devil how far he can go. See, it says Peter would come out of this and strengthen his brothers. That's verse 32, same deal with you. Let's say you've been sifted, and you tell somebody else who's, who's going that same direction, you don't want to do that. I've been there. I've done that. It's not worth the price you're going to pay. See, you were sifted, and now you're going to go strengthen your brothers. I remember this mom who told her daughter one time, don't hang around with this kid. Don't flirt. Don't tantalize. Watch how you dress. And the girl didn't do it. And that boy who she tried to tantalize, called her every half hour, stalked her house, made her afraid, and the mom and dad finally had to get what they call a PPO or a restraining order, had to get the police involved for this kid. And that daughter who didn't listen to her mother has been sifted like wheat, and one day she will tell her kids, watch how you dress. Don't flirt. So did Peter learn anything? See, Satan sifted him, made him fearful for his life. And so what did Peter do? He denied, he denied Jesus three times. said, I don't know this dude. Well, he didn't say that, but he said something like that. I don't know this guy. Did Peter learn anything from being sifted like wheat? Years later, Peter and his wife are in Rome. And this is in Fox's Book of Martyrs. And they're walking along a Roman road. 
They're walking along the road, and a detachment of guard comes up to him. And the leader says to Peter, he addresses Peter and says, we have a command here to crucify you if you do not deny Jesus Christ. And Peter had already been sifted like wheat once and denied Jesus Christ. And he said, you and your wife, and she's first. In other words, he would have to watch it. And Fox's Book of Martyrs quotes Peter as saying, my beloved, I'll see you on the other side. So he learned something, didn't he? And then what did Peter say? Now, this is not in the Bible. This is in Fox's Book of Martyrs, history book. And then Peter said, I am not worthy to be crucified like my Lord, and so crucify me upside down. And they did, see. See, God used evil. He used the evil one to refine Peter. That's what God the Father does. And so I ask, can you see God the Father using the bad stuff in your life to refine you? See, one key theme in the book of Habakkuk is this. God uses evil, like a nation like Babylon, the most evil nation on earth, to bring about his purpose. You know, sometimes in my life I make very bad choices, and I can't undo those choices. I can't unmess the messes the way I like to say it. But I can learn from those bad choices and humbly go to my father and confess my sin and ask him to give me the grace to go through the consequences of those sinful choices. And somehow I ask him, in only a way that you can do, and I pray this prayer, I say, Father, I say, Father, in a way that you can do, I know I've messed this up. I say, Father, please unmess the mess. As bad as it is, I say something, I do something that I totally regret. It's totally out of God's will. And I confess the sin. I learn my lesson. But then I can go to God and say, God, you know, you, you, you see the mess I've made in my life. You see the wrong things I have done. Now, please, use this evil to bring some good out of it. And that God will do. Man, that, you know, that is such a joy to me. I can screw up my life so bad. And God will somehow take that mess up in, in, in his own way. And only God can do this, man. And only, he, only God can do this, man. He'll somehow bring the good out of it, okay? And that's what we have as true Christians. That's what's going for us. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, if you haven't surrendered to Christ, why wouldn't you want to and get that? That God works even through the evil in your life. Here's something else. Evil, you know, when I think about God working through evil, evil nations rise to power. And they do. That's Habakkuk 1.6, back to Habakkuk 1.6, where the Lord says, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. And I've got that I am circled. Ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. I'm raising them up. See, uh, what I'm saying is God is the Lord of history. History is going right where God wants it to go. I mean, listen, this is, this is so important that we understand this, especially in our day and age, man. God is weaving all man's evil designs, all our boasting. North Korea, Iran, all these nations, our stupid mistakes in this country. God is taking all this stuff. We have a free will. God's letting it happen. He, he, he has it all under control, and he's taking all these bad choices, and he's weaving them into his good purpose. And one day, I'm going to tell you, he will be glorified in all the earth. One day he will. That's Habakkuk 2.14. you got to see that. For the earth will be filled, even after this devastation by Babylon. The earth will one day be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as sure as the waters cover the sea. The earth will be filled 
with the glory of the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, you remember that next time you watch the news. The earth, remember Habakkuk 2.14, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. So Habakkuk complained about the um, evil in his nation Israel. And God said to him, I know what's going on. I'm going to send Babylon to purge you of evil. And then Habakkuk voices his second complaint and he says, hold on, God, they're more evil than us. He says this in chapter 1, verse 12. He said, listen now, he says, he says in verse 12, oh God, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. <laughs> What's he said? You're pulling my leg, God, right? He said, you're pulling my leg. I look at verse 13. Your eyes are too pure to look at evil. What's he saying? You're not going to let this happen. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And God says, oh, yes, I am. <laughs> Habakkuk is saying, this can't happen. You're too, you're too holy to let this happen. So in chapter 2, this is kind of interesting to me. Habakkuk says, I'm going to park myself here on these ramparts. And I'm just going to sit, and I'm going to wait for God to talk to me because I think I convinced God. I think God's listening to me, Habakkuk, when I said, oh, God, you would never do this. Your eyes are too pure. <laughs> so God answers him. He says, I'm going to do it. He answers him. Look at verse, um, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets. He's saying, I want this revelation, or some Bibles, the King James has the vision. It awaits an appointed time. Make it clear, he says. It awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end. And will not prove false. Though it linger. Now you got to get that next word. What's that next word? Wait for it. That's what Habakkuk chapter 2 is all about. Wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. So Habakkuk says, he says, I'm going to station myself on the ramparts of the wall of Jerusalem. I will stand my watch, he says, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He says, I'm going to station myself on the ramparts. That's the wall of Jerusalem like a sentinel. I'm just going to sit there and wait for God to answer. And like I said, God did. And then he says, write down the revelation. It's all going to happen. Now, what did God just say to Habakkuk? He said, the revelation, the vision is this. Verse 3. He says, there's an appointed time that speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. He's saying, everything I told you, Habakkuk, is going to happen. That's the revelation. It's going to happen. Prepare yourself for it. But remember, it's accomplishing a purpose. And there will be an end to it. That's the revelation. He says it's going to all happen, but it's going to end, and it's going to accomplish my purpose. And what you guys need to do is you guys need to go through it. Just make up your mind you're going to go through it, because my will, and no one day it's going to end, and you've got to wait for this thing to happen and for my will to be accomplished. He says it will certainly come. I've decreed it. It will happen at a point in time, and it will end and it remains for you to wait for it to accomplish its purpose. I read this part of Habakkuk, and I thought of all the times I said, okay, do it, and let's get it over with, because <laughs> I didn't want to wait. Listen, what I see in Habakkuk primarily is this. That's what I see in Habakkuk chapter 2 primarily. We do need to be patient. So we're going to look at what it means to be patient. Do you ever hear, the, did you ever hear this, this slogan? You might say, patience is a virtue. 
one of the character attributes of God, he is patient. He is patient. And I see patience in God. And if it's in God, I need to be like God. I need to be patient. Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, let me tell you what's going on in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter's talking about the end of the world, you know, everything coming to judgment. There are scoffers who are saying, oh, that's not going to happen. There'll be no end of the world. You know, when you're dead, you're dead. There's no judgment. All that stuff. And so Peter says in response to that in verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, or slack if you have a King James, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, and the reason he's waiting is because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so God is not bringing in the judgment yet because he's waiting and giving us more and more time to evangelize with the truth of Jesus Christ so more and more people receive Jesus Christ before he ever brings in judgment. And yes, one day he will bring in judgment. He will. But he's patient. He's waiting. God is patient. God is patient. You know, we need to look at the patience of Jesus Christ. This is the best example. This is the epitome of patience in the whole Bible. I read this and I ask myself, would I be this patient with the people in my life? You got, you got to look at this. Mark 3, 13, talks about Jesus picking his disciples. It says in 3, 13, he went up to a mountain and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, designating them to be his apostles. These would be the guys who go out and take the gospel to the world, okay? That they might be with him. He had already chosen five apostles. He was going to choose the last seven. And folks, I got to tell you, and, and they would be with him. This, this would probably be the biggest earthly decision our Lord would ever make because he would go to the cross. He would fulfill his mission and then he would rise from the death and he would go back to heaven and these guys would carry it on. They would carry the cross to the world. They would carry the gospel to the world. You see, Jesus would start the ball rolling, you might say, and these guys would keep it rolling. In fact, in John's gospel, Jesus told him, you guys are going to do greater things than I ever do. Meaning in scope, I, you know, I, I'm staying here in the land of the Jews. You guys are going to take this message of salvation all over the world and do greater things than me. And they would be noticed, Mark 3, 13 and 14, with him. He needed to train these guys. They were really important guys in the plan of salvation. Here's the problem that Jesus faced. These 12 guys had been taught all the wrong stuff about their Messiah. See, he was the Messiah. They believed that. But their concept of the Messiah was he would come in a great display of power and he would destroy all the evil on the earth and he would set up this perfect, beautiful kingdom. As a man, and that would happen one day. But but see, Isaiah chapter two, Isaiah chapter Isaiah chapter eleven says the lion and the lamb will lie down together, and then they're looking for an era when the lion and the lamb and when all nature is in harmony, when the lion and the lamb aren't trying to, or the lion isn't trying to kill the lamb. He said in Isaiah chapter two, people are going to beat their swords into plowshares to plant grain, meaning there would be no war. It would be a near perfect kingdom, and that would happen. That would come, see? Our Lord would come a second time. That's Revelation 19. And he will set up that kingdom, but not the first time. And that's what the disciples didn't understand. The first time he came, he would come in humility. He would come as a servant. He would deal with their sin by dying on a cross. It was the whole principle of pain before gain, humility before glory. 
And Jesus had to pump all this old thinking out of these guys. You know, he's going to come in a blaze of power and just destroy all evil and pump the new thinking in that he was coming as a servant to die and they were going to have to suffer for that. He tried to pump that new thinking in. He had three, he had three years to accomplish this. And they were with him. And they were there every time he spoke. And the whole deal is they weren't getting it. And man, he had to be so patient with these guys. I want to show you one example in Mark chapter 9. This is just talking about Jesus being patient. Mark chapter 9. On three different occasions, at least recorded in the Gospels, our Lord said, man, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go through some really bad stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to be crucified. I mean, I'm going to die not a nice death. And then I'm going to rise. This is Mark chapter 9. And this is verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, I will rise. Now jump down to verse 33. He just said, I'm going to go through all this horrible stuff. Now, now look at verse 33. He just said that. So they came to Capernaum. They were walking. See, he told them that on the road. And when he was in the house, he asked him, what were you guys talking about on the road? What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. I mean, do you catch that? He says, guys. I am going to suffer and die at the hands of men. I'm going to go through all that agony, but then I'm going to rise three days afterwards. And none of that stuff registers. It doesn't sink in. They're on the road talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. They just didn't get it. And Jesus was so patient while he waited for, for what he taught to sink in. And then Peter denied him. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the mob comes to apprehend Jesus and his disciples scatter. And in John 21, what does Jesus tell Peter? He says, you're still mine, guy. He says, you're still mine. He says, I'm not done with you. I have plans for you. And that is patience. Those disciples who scattered, Matthew 28, he commissions them to go out into all the world and preach the gospel. That is patience with these guys. And finally, after three years, if you read the last verse in Luke, the last verse of the gospel, it finally sinks in. But folks, here's what you got to know. For three years, they broke his human heart. They disappointed him. But he stuck with those guys. And I read the Gospels, I see Jesus going off to pray, and I think to myself, what did he pray for? He went to pray for those guys. He went off to pray for those guys. And that says a lot to us about our patience. Back to back, God tells his prophet, the, re the revelation is this. The Babylonians are going to come. I'll purge this nation of its evil, idol-worshipping ways. But you will have to wait and be patient for all this to work out. God is patient. Okay. What tries your patience? How good are you at handling it? And there's endless illustrations. I mean, um, how many guys drink and they think they don't have a, problems, a problem, but their wives don't want to be around them when they're drinking. And you tell them about it, but they don't admit to it, and you just want this over right now. Or maybe you have a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad or a brother or sister or somebody you really care about, and they've been taught most of their life that 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 salvation was religion. You go to church, you're baptized, you're confirmed, and they say, why would you even suggest if you suggest it? I'm not going to heaven. Why would you even suggest that? I mean, I go to church. I was confirmed. I was baptized. I had my first communion. I mean, why would you dare even suggest that? That's what they say. And you're trying to convince them it's not about religion. It's personal. It's a relationship with the living Savior who loves you. He's really alive in your life, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And what you're trying to do with these people is you're trying to pump religion out, and you're trying to pump 
a relationship in. And that's just not happening. And you want it to happen like right now. You tell him Jesus is the only way. This faith not works. The gift's something you can't earn. And it doesn't make sense to them. And you don't know how long they have. And you're getting concerned about that. And you want it to happen now. And you say, God, why is it? Why am I not getting through? Why, why am I not getting through? See, As we look at God's word, especially Jesus himself, we see that God is patient. And if God is patient, patient is something he wants us to be. 2 Peter 3, 9. God's waiting. For more people to repent. He's patient. He's waiting before he brings in the judgment. Jesus Christ and his disciples, how patient he was. Patience really is a virtue. It's a godly virtue, and it's something the Father wants you to be. And you've got to think like this when you're impatient. You've got to say, God in heaven wants me to be patient. See, when things don't happen immediately, when things don't change or happen right away, in people or in circumstances, when you're patient, these things will not unravel you. And God wants you to be there. Those 12 disciples disappointed Jesus over and over again, and he never gave up on them. I mean, that's God's word, and that should say something to us. People will disappoint you. People will sometimes break your heart. They will irritate you. They will frustrate you, and frustration is this. You want the change to happen. You want it. You know it's right. And they're not changing. And that takes me back to Habakkuk chapter, three, chapter 2, verse 5, or verse 3. It says, though it linger what you want to happen, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay, meaning it will happen in God's time. And that's God's word. Patience is God's will. You should want to be patient to please God. That's your heart. And here's something else you have to know. If God asks you to be patient, you've got to know this. He will not ask you to be something he doesn't equip you to be. He will always equip you to be it. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, May God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.